Morning, morning, morning. Yes, we're back with another episode, another rider. Today we have the lovely Sammy here, all the way from the States, and she's doing a very interesting degree in Oxford University, one of our prestige places. And it's about, well, I'll let you explain, Sammy. Hello. Thanks for having me on your wonderful podcast, Simon. You're welcome. I was speaking to Simon a bit about what I'm studying. My degree is broadly in international development, but I'm studying uh, alternatives to development or post-development perspectives, uh, which is essentially communities and people questioning the prevailing development model based off of natural resource extraction or basically or, or extractive practices from different countries, different people coming in to extract wealth out of communities instead of placing that wealth into the hands of the, the people that, um, that inhabit those places. And yeah, that's kind of like a broad basis of um, what I'm interested in, but I'm studying perspectives from people in the Andes and Peru on what it means to live well and what it means to live uh, harmoniously. And I can go further into that, but um, that's kind of the idea of what human development should be, is human flourishing between each other, between nature, and uh, yeah. Why did you choose that degree? I studied environmental studies and psychology before in my undergraduate, and I've always been really curious with how humans engage with their natural environment. and. You know, I was always trying to bring those two things together, but I, you know, the only way I was able to do that sort of thing, like bring in the psychology of environment and human behavior was, it happened to be through international research experiences. Um, my first experience was in Bolivia. I was studying perceptions of green spaces and environmental behavior. And then I spent time in East Africa and I was studying what part um, of East Africa? Uh, in Uganda and Rwanda. Okay, I've been those places. Yeah, okay. and I was studying women's like artisan collectives, um, and basically like the sense of empowerment that women gain from participating in like the money that they gain. So um, you said what collectives? Basically, are like weaving cooperatives in different communities um, outside of Kigali and Kampala. Yeah, and. Yeah, so uh, you know, I spent a couple months doing that, and then after I graduated, I spent a year in South India mm-hmm. studying women's involvement in solar, solar entrepreneurship. Mm-hmm. So essentially, women selling solar, small-scale solar, to their mm-hmm. communities. And so, I think with all these different experiences that were, you know, peripherally related to, you know, mm-hmm. development, how humans relate to the environment, to each other, uh, this sort of thing, I you know, I had the background in environmental studies and I think I really wanted more per- critical perspectives on a lot of these like development sort of projects because all of those organizations were social enterprises. And yeah, I guess that that's kind of what brought me to like the degree type. And I think Oxford specifically because the perspectives are very critical and almost in a sense that everything's criticized. So you kind of don't know what is positive or what's good but it's different from perspectives in the US that's very much action-oriented or practical most like degrees in international development in the US are like practically oriented so it'd be like a 
um, you know, you'd be doing like internships and practicums instead of doing like critically oriented research. So that's long-winded, but that's kind of what brought me to, yeah, to what I'm studying. So you've worked in Africa, you worked in Peru. Tell us about Africa and what you found and the way you communicate with people. Mm. Yeah, so this was, I think, four or five years ago now, but I still remember vividly, like, the sense of welcome that was that I was with a Pakistani woman as well. She was my research partner. And uh, we were received so warmly. And I remember just being kind of dumbfounded that we were able, like, it was like a very large team. Uh, we started in Uganda. I think there was like 30 people on the all across Africa team. And uh, we just got into the deep stuff immediately. Like we shared a lunch and uh, yeah, I just remember being really surprised about that. And I think both of us, my my partner Huda uh, and I felt just like so warmly welcomed and really excited about what we were about to do. And the experience, yeah, was mostly visiting um, artisan communities in different regions uh, surrounding Kampala. And we basically were trying to understand because I think the organization had started their operations in Kigali and they were very successful with the co-ops and you know they were producing on time like their um, you know the orders for like baskets for example Mm -hmm. Um, so I think the idea of the project that we had been placed on was to kind of understand like what was working well um, in the Rwandan context and like what could be brought forward to Uganda um, to those cooperatives so like things could be functioning more smoothly and the sense of that and kind of what if anything like cooperatives needed in order to function better and so yeah that just consisted of spending a lot of time in in these different communities sitting with the women we had a, a lovely translator named Mary and yeah I <laughs> it's been so long ago now that I I don't remember our specific findings but I do remember like there were certain parts where the women were always saying that they wanted to work together like we sit together we work together yeah, community community right and learning from each other like peer peer networks because you know some of the women are incredible weavers and they know all these really intricate designs and like younger women maybe just starting could learn from mm. the experts and also yeah like the and they have their kids around them as well don't they they often did yeah and it also provided a space to you know okay. share yeah. and talk about trauma or things happening in their life or you know that's what I was going to say. Like it's that. not just about kind of a business thing. It's about right. we talk. To, everybody talks to each other, and the younger ones get guided by the elders. Right, absolutely. And I think like that sense of the collective was very present in uh, the artisan communities, at least that we visited, and it was very inspiring. And I do think it's quite different, and maybe it's the. You know, every culture is different, and the East African culture is so so beautiful. And I think the sense of that collectiveness was just very present, as in different, you know, social enterprise models. Very much focus on like the individual woman, which is like the work I was doing in India. 
And so I just found the sense of that like togetherness very special and also think it can create a lot more social change in communities, you know, in terms of the roles of women and how women can, you know, their decision-making abilities and things like that. Like, I think the sense of the togetherness and the collective is really important. Mm-hmm. You've obviously traveled quite a bit. Luckily. Do you feel that it's necessary for the Western companies or, or countries or even companies to go to these places or do you think we should just leave them alone based on your experience like companies who are working yeah, yeah, in certain areas yeah like where where you can because what i'm getting a feel of your degree and everything is kind of all kind of overlaps mm-hmm. so and you talked about alternative yeah. methods yeah which was striking to me Really? Yeah, yeah, because a lot of people or organizations feel that, no, we must go and tell these people what to do and how to live. Absolutely. And you're talking about a different method. So what yeah. I'm asking you now is, like, do you feel that's necessary for anyone to tell anyone how to live? No. <laughs> okay. I don't and, think so. Why is that? I don't think that people should imbue their values on other people. I mean... There's no one way to live well, right? Mm -hmm. And of course, I think many humans can agree on, you know, sets of values on how to interact with each other and interact with environment, with animals. And I think there's some interesting examples of, you know, it's basically, I think it comes down to like values and and, uh, relationships. And I think... Yeah, it's like one example is like the, um, I think it's the Zulu word, uh, Ubuntu, which is like, I am because you are, which is like one vague translation. And that's often related to this concept I was studying, which is Buen Vivir, which means like harmonious living. And it's all basically a set of rules about how to uh, relate to others and to, and others isn't just humans, it's animals, it's, it's everything right it's, it's the entire ecosystem it's like the avatar movie yeah and so i think we can certainly learn from many different cultures and i think like at least in the you know western world or america and europe we have a certain vision and that's the like historical narrative narrative as well you know histories of colonialism and all that has been imbuing certain values about you know what it means to live well like well you know that's money and having these certain things and other cultures view that so differently so i think yeah we have certainly we all certainly have a lot to learn but i does that make sense i yes, think i does. went really roundabout <laughs> no it does it makes total sense <laughs> things would you obviously you're doing your degree now uh-huh. would you go back to working for ngos and things like that you know, I'm unsure right now. It's almost like a sense of, I don't know what's the best way to move forward. Like, is that NGO work? Is that government work? Is that social enterprise work? Or, you know, or like larger international organization work? I'm not sure what the answer is. And uh, yeah, I, I mean, curious if you have perspectives, but yeah. yeah. Well, just for the audience, NGOs are non-government organizations, <laughs> very common in and around Africa and probably other parts of the world in the Southern Hemisphere, barring Australia and New Zealand, yeah. where many a time 
uh, organisation says they're a charity, but there's a hidden funder who's pushing yeah. some hidden agenda. Yeah, yeah. Usually, that. like a wealthy yeah. white person, probably. Well, <laughs> the Clintons, <laughs> something like that, <laughs> pushing out their injections or whatever, not going down a certain kind of road. But I always looked at it like this, Sammy. When we get there, are these people happy? Because if they're happy and they're not asking us for anything, then why are we there? Yeah. If we're not there for a holiday, then why are we there? And that's my kind of philosophy, because people die regardless. And if we really believe our society is perfect, then that's different. But if we can admit that it's not, then why should we be telling anybody else? Yeah. That's my overall take on it. And to migration and what have you, people will pick up habits that they like from other countries anyway, if you see what I mean. That's just my, uh, and you do with your neighbours, do you see what I mean? North Africa and Sub-Saharan Africa, they cross over in cultures, yeah. Yeah. and then Bain and Portugal and Italy definitely have ties with North Africa, yeah. do you see what I mean? Yeah. And India, certainly, India, Pakistan, all those countries, and the Arab countries have ties with Africa, and yeah. it just goes on naturally, yeah. you know, so that's my take on things. When you're at uni, tell us about this degree. So you're at uni, they're talking about the corporate, let's say the corporate or the NGO. What is the argument? So I know if it's Oxford, there's a lot of debating going on. Yeah, yeah. I think basically the degree is critiquing like every development model or organization. So for example, like social enterprises, which is something I was really interested in. And at one point I thought, social enterprise which is basically like business for good that's kind of the essence of a social enterprise I kind of thought that was like the best way to create social change you know and probably like the best model for you know development in different places but in our degree you know we talk about how oftentimes these social enterprise models like as you say there's a different intention maybe coming from the funder and oftentimes the models create ambiguity for the people who are involved. So if it's like a woman selling solar, for example, you know, they give them these t-shirts and they basically walk around their communities and are trying to sell these products, which one critique would be, you know, you're engaging these communities in like the capitalist system because you're basically having them sell things you know those could be helpful solar products but also you know they could be they could break often and that's a whole nother issue but I guess it's the sense of putting a lot of time pressure and yeah I guess the sense of ambiguity that comes with like women already are working very long hours um, you know unpaid work like cooking taking care of children things like that and then adding on another sense of and trying to empower women but you know there's lots of issues with that and it doesn't always turn out how the organizations hope it will and do you think that they see that as work cooking cleaning the women yeah you know i'm not sure i never i never had that conversation with women but you know from like the academic perspective it's categorized as unpaid work okay. but i think i would imagine it would just be like this is just this is what like, I do. This is what I do. No, right? my, my husband just protects us or does or brings home food and this is what I do. Yeah, and I think that's the thing. 
that I'm coming to realize is that we as outsiders, ooh, whoa, <laughs> um, or academics or, you know, people working in NGOs, we conceptualize these things. We have ideas about how people act, what they're doing. We're labeling it as things, but <laughs> most of these people aren't conceptualizing these things. It's just they're doing it. They're living They're, you know, and I think that's interesting. What I found from my time in living in Kenya, yeah. that you have different classes of people like any society, and you have people who've traveled, yeah. and those people have somewhat of a Western mindset at times, but they say they put on different hats. Where in Africa, they put on their African hat, mm -hmm. which consists of all the things you need to do to get by, keep a relationship and all right. of that. I right. even had a lady who, an African lady who works for NGO, and she, used to, her, she was paid to go into villages and talk to women about women empowerment and all this thing, but you'd have to get permission from the elders, the men first. So I said to her one day, are you sure that's a wise idea? Because when you leave them and the women have, uh, give that attitude to their husband, it could turn into DV, a domestic violence situation. She's, well, yeah, she kind of fumbled over that, yeah? So I said, well, because she didn't have a partner, but she's looking for a partner. I said, so, what are you going to do when you have your man, find a man? She said, well, I'm going to be the traditional African wife. She said, why? I said, why? She said, because it wouldn't work otherwise. The Western model doesn't work here with the African men. Huh. And I was like, hmm. And then I had another occasion. I had three of my friends, a female, in my flat. And we was, they were hungry, so I was sorting out the food. And they said, imagine, one of them said, imagine our mothers were here and there's a man in the house and there's three of us as women and he's in the kitchen. We'd be told off, we'd probably be beaten. And they went, yeah. And I thought, okay, maybe I should sit up. <laughs> but I'm very particular, I don't like mess. Yeah. So I just thought I'd sort it out. Obviously, yeah, yeah. regardless of, I realize this is not about race, it's always about right. cultural mindset on right. these scales. Right. But yeah, that's why I asked you Interesting. that question. Yeah. Because that was my overall experience. Yeah. And I've probably got 101 different stories in relation to that. Going back to what they were speaking about in university, about the pros and cons and the kind of debates that I have, can you expand yeah. on that, please? Yeah. I'm trying to think of other debates. Mm. So I'm sure you've got people who are real pro NGOs and pro telling people what to do, and then you've got people who are more liberal minded. There is. Yeah. You know, I think my supervisor, she she's always saying like NGOs shouldn't exist. And I think that's interesting, right? Because that's kind of like the main entity that we see working in development. It's either like World Bank, those sorts of higher money-oriented organizations or like UN or it's NGOs, right? Is your lecturer, is she English? She's French. French, okay. Yeah, but yeah, I mean, the lectures are from loads of different countries. Okay, no, um, I was wondering because yeah. when she said they shouldn't exist, I yeah. agree. I don't think they should exist. Reason being, it's a bit like charities. If you didn't have charities in general, yeah. the government would have to deal with that yeah. thing and stop spending money on bombs right. and things like that. Yeah, they have yeah. to address those social issues because Completely. the public, if the social issue gets so bad, Completely. the public will say no. This is not acceptable. Yeah. Charity, if you can kind of yeah, push I, it aside. I agree. Yeah, I agree with you and, and with my supervisor. I mean, ideally, 
yeah, NGOs, social enterprises, none of those things should exist because society should take care of all the people, right, who live. I mean, that's maybe idealistic, but I think, yeah, we've just moved away from a, you know, there's examples of that working really well. And it's, you know, like the Scandinavian countries, like social welfare countries. People can speak about how that won't work in certain places, but it's really the role of a government to take care of its people. And that's clearly not happening in many countries around the world. Many and that's, Western countries. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, look at America. No right? free healthcare. That's a classic. I don't understand if the government didn't pay give us free healthcare here, I wouldn't say it. Really? I'll just get up and go. Well, I wouldn't pay taxes. Uh, why would I pay taxes if I'm not getting free healthcare? Yeah. Because if my, if, even if I could afford it, my neighbour may not be able to. And that means my neighbour family is going to be suffering. They're either going to come to me for help or they're going to become criminals. And it's going to affect me. Sure. It makes no sense to me. <laughs> Do you see what I mean? Yeah. 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 In that respect, but such is life. Maybe it's me and my privilege of being born in <laughs> Europe or Western Europe. In that respect, yeah, yeah. You've been an interesting guest. <laughs> Thank you, Simon. I've got a couple more questions. <laughs> and what have you learned from all your experience in this field that you wish you knew when you started? That's a really tough question something that I wish I knew when I started. I think I would probably tell myself that this area of study or line of work is very complex and challenging. And I've been in the best way, like confronted, you know, on issues of identity. What does it mean to be studying this as a white woman? You know, that's something that I'm always engaging with. And I think I would tell myself the most important thing is just listening. And I think I have been good at that in every experience that I've had. Having an open mind, not coming in with expectations to projects or research plans and letting, yeah, just being open to what people, what communities are willing to share with you once you have built trust. And uh, I, I think I, yeah, would just encourage myself to, while it's challenging, to continue and to continue to learn from the diversity of, you know, different ways of being and seeing the world and to continue to share that with the networks that I'm engaged in because oftentimes people don't really engage with perspectives from from other cultures or different ways of just being in the world. So, yeah, I, can, I would say those things to myself and, yeah, I think so. What does the future hold for you? <laughs> I have no idea. <laughs> I hope something beautiful and, you know, that I can do something meaningful and continue to uplift and valorize voices that are maybe unheard and to yeah just you know walk um, walk my path <laughs> and on an easy note what do you think of england 
What do I think of England? Yeah, you've come to, you're studying here. What is a culture shock? And what can we learn from America? And what can America learn from us? <laughs> I'm not so sure <laughs> about that. I think it's, it's challenging to speak about England exactly because I think Oxford's such a, it's a really fascinating place. It's, and I think it's different from most of England and because it's, you know, pretty diverse student population. Like most of the people I speak with are not British. <laughs> you know, they're coming from all over the world and I think that makes it a bit harder for me to comment on England as a whole. All right, then you know? Oxford. Let's narrow it down to Oxford. How has your experience been okay. in Oxford? Oxford's its own, its own thing. It's its own little ecosystem, right? It's a student city, but yeah, I mean, I think I really enjoy the quaintness of England. Like, I've gotten to do a lot of exploring. Uh, I love the the walks. Uh, I've gotten to explore the seasons, you know, spring, and that's been really beautiful, and go on bike rides, and I think the sense of, like, the countryside is really has been really nice. I walked the Cotswold Way this spring and got to see some of the countryside and yeah I really enjoy it and I think the sense of I know the UK is not perfect in terms of livability but at least in a place like Oxford I can get around just by walking and biking and that's something wholly different to living in most cities in the United States so I mean that's one thing the US can learn from Europe is just the sense of creating cities for humans in which humans can safely move about without being in cars. So I really enjoy that about being in Oxford. You've been a great guest. <laughs> Thanks a lot for that and we wish you well. We hope that episode enhanced your life. We post an interview every day as well as vlogging on our social media channel. Don't forget to subscribe to get our latest episode.